0: him powerful, God, in his preaching, Lord. And not for his name and the name of his church, but God, for your name and your glory. God, we pray that you would bless them. Father, now as we uh, come to this sacred hour where we get to hear your word, uh, Father, I pray that you would allow uh, me to decrease and that you would increase, God, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be extolled and exalted, Lord, and that because your name is exalted and lifted high, you would draw men and women, boys and girls, to yourself. Father, I know that I am just a man, and i have nothing to offer your people except you. Uh, so god i pray that you preach through me by the power of your holy spirit. god i pray that they would, res- would would see your glory, god, all over this text. they would see that you are the only god. that you are the only one who receives glory, honor and praise. father i pray that they would they would not forget you. they would not turn away from you, god, when when things are are difficult when trials come, but God, that they would remember that you are a good and gracious and kind Father, that you delight to save your people. So God, I pray this morning you, you would see salvation yet again. We would see your kind hand of providence, that you would rescue those who run from you and save them by your grace. So Father, we pray that your name would be exalted and extolled this morning for our good and for your glory's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, As we've been working through the book of Exodus, we come to this pinnacle story in Exodus chapter uh, 14. And this is the story of all stories in the Old Testament. This was the visual picture of God's salvation given to his people. Uh, This was not just a, a story for a generation. You know, events like the Challenger explosion in 1985 or 9-11 in 2001, those are generational events. Uh, Everyone in that generation, remember where you were the day those events happened. Uh, As we think about the history of our nation, the the United States of America, uh, not everyone may share those events in defining what and who America is. But everyone, when they talk about America, have to talk about the War of Independence from the British, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and the drafting of the U.S. Constitution. You can't define the United States of America outside of the Revolutionary War and our key documents. As those events were so key to America's history, this event is key for the nation of Israel. The crossing of the Red Sea and the the exodus from Egypt was the defining moment in the Old Testament. Israel could not be explained outside of this event. So throughout the, the scriptures, you see the God, by the inspiration of his Holy Spirit, remembering these events to the people. So in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 2, this is, And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to the horses and to the chariots how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you. Or Psalm 78, 13, he divided the sea. He let them pass through it and made the waters stand like a heap. Psalm 106, 8 through 11, yet he saved them from, for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and he made it dry. He led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Isaiah 50, verse 2. Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. Isaiah 51:10 Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? I could go on and on and on. Throughout the Old Testament, there's a remembrance, a recalling of this event in Exodus chapter 14. This event defined Israel. The question is, will it define us? When we think of the Exodus story, the story of the people of God, we should ask ourselves, how should this event shape us? If you are a Christian here today, then the story of the Exodus is your story. It does not belong merely to ethnic Israel, but to true Israel, all who come to God through the Messiah. This story is our story, and I pray that you would make this story and the, the thing that it points to, the salvation that God offers in Christ, the key story of all our lives. that when people share the story of your life, they can 't explain it outside of this story and what this story points to so there's six questions I want to ask you as we draw out this text. The first, will you camp? Will you camp? We get that in verses 1 through 9. Look back with me in your Bibles, chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi Haaretz, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Bel-Safron. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And took 600 chosen chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel. While the people of Israel were going out defiantly, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them. And camped by the sea by Pi Hahareth, in front of Baal Sephron. So God sends his people to camp in a very specific place, uh, right by the sea, so they would be trapped. They'd be bait for Pharaoh to chase them. Now notice that there's, there's two major themes throughout this section of Scripture. The first theme is glory. We see that right there in verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. So as you read through this narrative, you have to see how God is going to give himself glory in his bringing Israel through this trial. Which makes us ask the question, when the Lord leads you to places that you may not want to go, will you follow? Will you camp yourself, so to speak, in a place that doesn't make sense? Israel was said here to go out Phila. They left victory. Victoriously in Egypt. Remember how they how they left after the, the tenth plague? They say, You must leave, and when you go, plunder the Egyptians. Take with you gold and, and silver. They they left victoriously, but victory in God's eyes was not yet complete. So before as we, we go through seeing God's victory here, let me just ask you: is there something. That the Lord is asking you to do. Is there somewhere the Lord is asking you to go that you have been hesitant to obey? You you know that that thing that the Lord has been pushing you to to do, to confess, and you have been resistant to obey. Well, if you notice right there in the end of verse 4, after God told them to encamp, it says, and they did so. The Lord is the one you can trust, even though in the midst of it, it may not make sense. He may make you camp by a sea, but as you will see, he will bring salvation out of despair. The second question, not only will you camp, but will you forget? Verses 10 through 12, will you forget? So when Pharaoh, verse 10, drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. This was probably the fear of many of the Israelites while they were going along the way. Yes, we know that the Israelites were were let go and yes, Egypt said, Pharaoh said, yes, we could go. But what if they don't? What if they change their mind? So as they're walking in freedom, going towards the, the promised land, there's probably that thought in the back of their mind, what if Egypt pursues us? And all of a sudden they're there they're, they hit a, a landmass of a sea in front of them. They can't go any further. They turn and they look, and behold, there is the Egyptian army. And they were gripped with fear. Now, look at what they, they did. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 11 They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Beloved, this is the the human fleshly response when we face trials. When troubles tend to happen to fleshly people we tend to do what? We turn our blame on people and on God. We blame them for our misfortune. Whether that's, it's our boss, our children, our parents, our spouse, it's their fault, my life is what it is. Now they cry to the Lord, usually that's a prayer, they're crying to the Lord, and yet they attack the leaders. We see this is pretty common when things go awry. Things get bad, and who do you blame? Well, you blame the one in charge. The boss, the head coach, the president, the pastor, people tend to turn on the one they believe have have led them in this situation, but in this case, throughout this whole narrative, what do you see? Who is the one leading the people? It is the Lord fire by night and cloud by day. The Lord is leading them. Let me just make a couple applications here, as I said, this is a the first I, was, I would just make an a plea. For those of you who are maybe governed by fear, worry, anxiety, fear, worry, anxiety, all those things are natural to the human spirit. We see that right here, right? You're, you're being chased by a powerful army, right? And you have nowhere to go. The natural response is what? Is fear. What's going to happen? How much. Does fear and worry affect your life? God says, and the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. You know, beloved, worry, fear, cannot add a single day to your life. We can't let our lives be governed by the what-ifs. Now, they're sitting there. They, they don't know what's going to happen, right? But I think what we see here is that we can remind ourselves, as the, as the text go on, that we can overcome fear by speaking truth to that fear. If, if, the, if the people of, of Israel saw the nation of Egypt chasing them, if they would have spoke truth to their fear, saying, who is their God who just overthrew the, the God the gods of Egypt through the ten plagues? they wouldn't have been as afraid. But in the, minute, in the moment, all they saw was their fear. What could potentially happen? When, when you are gripped with fear, anxiety, and worry, what you must do is remind yourself who God is. Remind yourself of the character of God, his steadfast love and compassion. And you speak that truth to that fear because you're going to have fear. If anyone says, stop being afraid, You just can't do that. You can't just snap your fingers and say, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to have anxiety. That's not realistic. But what you do in the face of that fear, in the face of that worry, in the face of that anxiety, you speak truth to it. And you say, God is more powerful than my fear. Because God is more powerful than that that army that is chasing me. He's already proved it. And yet, he will prove it again. Now, secondly, let me just say this. Those of you who are in positions of leadership, whether you're a manager at at work, overseeing people, you're a teacher in the classroom, you're a pastor, elder deacon of a church, people react and turn against leaders in many ways, usually because of fear. They're afraid. They do not know what is happening or why it's happening, and sometimes they turn on you. This is the natural response of the human condition. Moses was doing what God told him to do, but the people did not always receive that with thankfulness. I pray that you would lead and love the people that God has given you to shepherd, even when they are attacking you and questioning you. If you know that you're following God's will, you just follow God's will. If you are unsure if you're following God's will when you're questioned, when you're challenged, what you do is you listen first, right? Leaders should be humble, and they should heed rebuke and grow from it. But if you realize that people are motivated by fear, understand this is the nature of leadership. Sometimes you lead when people are trusting you, and sometimes you lead when people are afraid. That is the nature of leadership. Either way, trust God. Trust God. How quickly did it take for these people to forget God's power? Ten words of, of Pharaoh. Ten words of these plagues that, that overcame all these gods of Egypt. Ten displays of God's judgment against Egypt. Ten, ten displays of God's act of kindness in distinguishing his people from the people of, of Egypt. And after ten times God's people seeing again and again and again and again God's power of, of, of might and, and glory and grace, they're in a different situation. What are they, where are you, God? What happened to you? And Moses does what all leaders should do in that moment. He reminds them to trust God and remember who he is. Question number three, will you remember? Will you remember? We see that in verses 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. As I said, there's two major themes in this section. The first is God's glory, right? where he is going to be the one who's honored above all. Second theme is salvation. You see that that is the, the goal of this text. And really glory and salvation in many ways is the, is the theme of the entire Bible. God will bring glory to his name by bringing salvation to his people. God will bring glory to his name by bringing salvation to his people. That's the story of the Exodus. That is the story of the entire Bible. There's this insurmountable problem. There was, there was no hope. Things were bleak. There was no way an unarmed army could fight against the, 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 the well-equipped, powerful Egyptian army and their chariots. There was no way to go forward through the, through the Red Sea. This is a no-hope situation, and God offers you these words. So if you are in a no-hope situation, which we all have been in before, God offers this to you. Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, for the Lord will work for you. This primarily is not about overcoming challenges in our life. This is primarily showing us the salvation that God brings through his servant. We cannot save ourselves. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Israelites had Egypt behind them and the Red Sea in front of them. Unless the Lord showed up, they would be undone. Friends, we cannot save ourselves. We have our sins behind us and the grave in front of us. We cannot deal with either. Our sins lead us to the grave. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. There is no hope for us in ourselves. No matter how good we are and how much good we can do, we cannot erase our past sin. We cannot change our mistakes. One day, we will have to answer for all our sin, for all the wrong we've done. So if you're here today and you are are one who has not yet put your faith in Christ, let me just ask you, how will you overcome your sin? Do you think that you even need to overcome your sin? Do you think that on the last day that the Lord will look at you and say, I know that you've committed a lot of sins. I know that you've done a lot of wrong, but I'm just going to ignore that. Come on into heaven. You know, I think if you ask most people, that's how they view God's forgiveness. But, you know, it's just it's interesting. We don't think about that even about earthly justice. I mean, imagine a man robbing a bank, shooting a, a clerk in the leg, gets caught, pleads guilty for robbing the bank and, and shooting uh, the teller. All of it is seen on video. Imagine him standing before the judge, and the judge says, I know that you committed this crime. I know that you robbed this bank and you, you shot this teller, but I'm going to let you go. You don't have to pay for your crime. I mean, if, if, you, if you saw that situation, you would be enraged. Why? Because we know that in us, there's an innate sense of justice. We want justice. We demand justice. We just don't want justice against us. We want mercy. We want God to overlook that. This is the beauty of salvation we see in this text. It says, see. The salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you. He will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord is going to bring salvation to you that you cannot bring to yourself. He will work for you. He will fight for you. We see this in the Exodus, and we'll see this exactly in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to, to be with us, to fight for us. He came to work salvation for us. We had no hope. We were stuck in our sins without God, without hope, trapped, hopeless. And God sent his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring us salvation. God sent a human to save humanity. Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death. He was dead and buried, but God raised him from the dead. God gave the world hope to cross over the the Red Sea, which is the grave. We cannot cross over from death to life outside of Christ. This is why Jesus himself said, Truly, truly, in John 5, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come to judgment, but has passed or crossed over from death to life. So, if you're here and you are not one who trusts in Christ, I pray that you would cross over from hoping in yourself to hoping in Christ. Because one leads to death and only one leads to life. The only way that you can deal with your sins is if someone pays that debt for you. That is the the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would see the salvation that God is working for you today. You would turn to Him in faith. Now, if you're here and you are a believer, Isn't this a wonderful picture, right? Listen, we know that through many trials and tribulations, we will enter into the kingdom of God. You know, in a room this size, there are many of you who are going through trials. Some of them are external trials, right, that people maybe know about, that's physical trials, financial troubles. Some of you have internal trials that nobody knows about. Severe depression, fear, sins that, that are weighing you down. But if you are a Christian in Christ Jesus, if you belong to him, remember Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously with him give us all things? He's given us salvation. That's their greatest need has already been met. We have crossed over from death to, to, to life. The Red Sea of death has been parted, and we can walk through on dry ground. I can have joy today. I mean, I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing! Why? Because of the Exodus, he's giving you a picture of his salvation. Will you remember? Not only will you remember, but will you actively trust, which is our fourth question. Will you trust? We see this in 15 through 31. Chapter 14, look at verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so they shall go in after them. And I will get glory, again, glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. It's kind of an interesting thing here because... Uh, the Lord kind of looks at Moses and says, why are you talking to me? (laughs) Enough's enough, get up and move, right? Uh, When Charles Spurgeon was uh, preaching on this text, he he wrote this, far be it for me to ever say a word in disparagement of the holy, happy, heavenly exercise of prayer. But beloved, there are times when prayer is not enough, when prayer itself is out of season. When we have prayed over a matter to a certain degree, it then becomes sinful to tarry any longer. Our plain duty is to carry our desires into action and having asked God's guidance and having received divine power from on high to go at once to our duty with any, any longer, no longer uh, deliberation or delay. They prayed, get a move on. Walk through the Red Sea. So I pray as we, as we finish reading this text, I pray that you do what Moses said to the people as you read this next section that in you that you would start to fear not, that you would stand firm and that you would see the salvation of the Lord. Look at verse 19. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. And coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, there was a cloud in the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other at all night. Watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and the, of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so they, could, they drove heavily. And the chariot said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea And the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses You see right there at the end the Lord saved Israel the Lord saw the great Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses now, when you see this text, all you see is God's handiwork all over it. The Lord is in charge here, and the Lord is showing his glory. So we see them right there in verse 19. It says that the, <clears throat> the angel of the Lord, who was going before the host of Israel, moved behind them. The Lord himself, the angel of God, representing this pillar, of, uh, this pillar of, in the cloud, is moving behind them to, to defend them from the Egyptians. Then God sends an east wind, which is interesting. This is what one pastor uh, says. He says, if you have a good sense of your Bible, you may hear echoes of creation story and the flood in Noah's day. The Hebrew word ruach can be translated wind, spirit, or Holy Spirit. Remember the word ruach, which is that word we see here, wind, <coughs> spirit, hovering over the, over the depths in Genesis 1. In Genesis 8, 1, in narrow Noah's day, God made a wind, a ruach, blow over the earth, and the water subsided. Here we again have a divine Ruach, an east wind, blow through the Red Sea. Then just at creation, dry ground appears out of a watery mess. Now, here's what he says. Why is this significant? Why does it matter? Because the Red Sea event is seen as yet another of God's creative acts. He made the world separate the waters from the waters so that the dry land would appear. Then because of sin, he destroyed the world. Then remaking the world in a way after Noah's day, he sends another wind to separate the waters from the waters so that dry land would appear. Now in the Exodus, the third time we see it already in Scripture, it's as if God is creating once again a new people, a new nation, a new land, a new day. When the divine wind blows, separating waters from waters, dry land appears. There is even more than a miracle of heaps of water standing on either side. It's the creative power of God, Unleashed for his people. Beloved, God wants to use his creative power for you. That you would know of his his might, his love, his compassion. It's interesting right there in in the text. I'm not sure if you kind of, you saw it. It says in verse um, 24, it says in the morning watch. He says that in verse 24, we see this word in the morning watch. And later on in the text, in verse 27, it says, So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. So the Lord threw the the chariots into panic as the morning watch began. These chariots who were once the strength of Egypt now become their weakness because they can't move in, in the muddy land. And the Egyptians, in that moment when the morning appears, they're looking for their God, the sun god Ra, to come to their defense. And it's at that moment when God wants to add insult to injury to prove that the Egyptians, that he is the Lord. That the morning hour when you are depending on your sun god to come, the waters crash over them. Because salvation belongs to the Lord and no other. The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Don't miss this, that his servant Moses is key. God gave victory to Israel through his servant. This is how the Lord works salvation. He did it through Moses and he will do it through one who is greater than Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now when you see this, when you see salvation come upon God's people, what should your response be? The only natural response is to sing. Will you sing? Will you sing? It's a sad day when the church doesn't sing. There are a lot of reasons I think people don't sing today. It may be poor melody in the music. You don't like the tune. Uh, but I think more often than not, we don't sing because we're not moved to sing. We're not moving to, to sing of what God has, has done. Do You have that song of salvation in your heart that you cannot wait to belt out what God has done for you in Christ. I will glory in my Redeemer. Hallelujah, our great God. God's grace is greater than our sin. He just wells up in you, holy, 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 what God has done for you. Well, This is what happened to Israel. After they saw the salvation, they sang. And I want you to see what they sang. They sang of God's mighty deeds and mighty works. Chapter 15, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his horse, his host, he cast into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters pile up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps, the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength in your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They trembled. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom, dismayed, trembling, seizes the the leaders of Moab. All the habits of Canaan have melted away. Tear and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made, your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which... Your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Beloved, I pray in our gatherings that we sing, that we sing because we know salvation, that we know that that our God says, fear not your sins, fear not the grave, stand firm in the hope of the gospel. For the for my waters have fallen upon your sins, have fallen upon the the grave. I have cast them as far as the east is from the west. I have dropped them into the bottom of the sea. You are forgiven in Christ. Holy, redeemed, new again. And because you have that salvation song in your heart, you sing. You sing who is like our God to give us this kind of salvation. A salvation he works for us. So, beloved, I pray that you would know today that the Lord will fight for you. I pray that you would sing to him. Father, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you that we as a people can sing to you for what you have done in the history of your people and ultimately what you have done for us in Christ through the salvation you offer him. I pray, God, as we sing now, God, that you would just fill our hearts with that salvation song that we would know, that we know that we know that we belong to you because you've allowed us to cross over from death to life through your servant, the Lord Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, this next one is, is a great hymn of the faith, uh, hymn 58, uh, Like a River Glorious. Is that right? So like a river glorious has got a great course, stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised, perfect peace and rest. Please stand. Of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Join hands as we sing family of God.